Welcome to the Dig a Little Deeper podcast. I'm Pastor Matt Betts. I'm here with Pastor Mark Slater and our very, very special guest, Pastor Ben Teethy. He's back once again. Yo, yo, yo. Oh, third in a row, third in a row. You haven't cancelled me yet, boys. I know, it's good. We just couldn't get enough. Actually, well, what really happened is we finished our conversation about the um, irreducible minimums of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just thinking about how to encapsulate this and and how does it apply on the cold face of everyday life. Mm. What a challenge. You seem to be very good at this. You throw phrases out that just make our ears just go. Mm. Yeah, look, I, th- I like to throw out f- f- phrases because it distracts people from the fact that really I have no idea in life what I'm doing <laughs> and what's going on. But then I'll just that's uh, true. put a little special, f- you know, verbiage smoke screen up. <laughs> yes. So I've been thinking I've been thinking over the challenges in my own life and what I know God's calling me to, right? So the irreducible minimums for me, like if I had to boil faith down, there's really just four things to bear in the forefront of my mind, right? I'm going to be centered in Jesus. I'm going to be being empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be orientated towards others instead of myself. And I'm going to be leaving love in my wake and be careful to evaluate what am I leaving in my wake by the choices that I'm making and the behaviors I'm engaging in. So that's my irreducible minimum. Mm -hmm. I feel like one could put all that in a saucepan and boil it down again and come up with a special sauce. You know, it's called a reduction in cooking terms. You chuck all your stuff in the pot and you boil it, boil it, boil it, and then you end up with like, you know, it used to be a litre of liquid, but now it's like 250 mils of liquid. But it's supercharged in flavour. Everything, everything's evaporated but the flavour, and now you've got like this special reduction sauce that contains all the tasty goodness, you know. This is the orange juice concentrate that my mum got me in trouble for having without mixing with water. You would go and just the hard concentrate yeah. up on its own. Yeah. yeah that's and it's like sun-dried tomatoes, right? Why do sun-dried tomatoes taste good? Because they evaporate all of the liquid from the tomato, right? Then you just end up with the non-evaporatables and all of that deep tomato-y paste, tasty flavour. That's why sun-dried tomatoes taste yes. so good. The the extra stuff's evaporated out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I feel like uh, there's an image that we get in the New Testament around, okay, if you, what was, what is the concentrate of the Christian life? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's um, found in Philippians chapter two. And in Philippians chapter two, Paul is at pains to express to the Philippians how they should do their communal life, how they should do their corporate life together in a way that expresses the Jesus story, you know, yeah. and everything in scripture ultimately comes to back to pointing us to being spirit empowered through the Jesus lens and therefore living the way Christ would live, which would be others oriented and leaving love in our wake. And so Paul just does this really amazing thing in Philippians chapter two. Uh, he writes a hymn, which is one of the earliest Christian poems and earliest Christian hymns ever written. It's from verse five in chapter two. But listen to just a bit of what he says. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So there's so many, and there's a you know whole other bit we could read too, but there's so many gems in this passage. But in essence, this passage is responsible for a couple of major observations throughout history that have made the Christian church a body of transformational activity on the planet, right? Christians have been change agents. They've gone and suffered for their faith in other other countries. They've brought universal health care and education mm. and overturned injustice and brought the healing power of the kingdom of God and revolutionized, you know, democracy, all sorts of things, right? Christians have done it. And really, it's the teaching of Philippians 2 that is 
responsible for why Christians have taken such an active role. They reflected on Philippians 2 and they said, then we have to do something in the in your relationships together. Let the same mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. And then mm. he gives you the story about what is called the incarnation. How did God, the infinite God, become flesh in Jesus, right? He was in the very nature God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That's the essence of the incarnation, right? Jesus lives in heavenly glory and heavenly privilege as the pre-incarnate Christ, heaven where the streets are paved with gold. But God loves the world so much that he sends his son to earth so that we wouldn't perish, but we could have eternal life, right? So what happens? Instead of enjoying the throne of glory and the streets paved with gold, he takes on human form. He mm -hmm. takes on flesh. He humbles himself. Mm -hmm. And then he enters the bloodstream of humanity where the streets aren't even paved in some places and walks through the dusty highways and byroads of Jerusalem, walking through the cattle dung and the manure and the dust and all that sort of stuff, dusty roads, living in the bloodstream amongst the broken and the poor and the sinners and the lepers and the tax collectors and those who are far away from God. Uh, and that shows us, a, like, that's the portrait of God that Jesus gives us. What is God like? God is a self-emptying God. Mm. He didn't consider his godness something to be grasped, is what the New King James says. Like, not something to hang, hang on to. Not, he, didn't, he didn't keep privilege with white-knuckle fever. Mm. He came in the form of a servant, made himself nothing. And that word made himself nothing. So here's the crux of it, right? First of all, from Philippians 2, um, that's a summary of all the Gospels. We learn that God is incarnational. God won't stay in heaven and point a finger and go, you foul human, come up to my level. Yes. God will come down to your level and he won't demand you rise up. He will come down and he will lift you up. That's mm. what we see in the incarnation of Jesus. He learns your language. He experiences your life. He takes on what it's like to be human. He identifies fully with that. He suffers. He's hungry. He grieves. He's persecuted. All these things, rejected, familiar with grief like we are. Um, and so God enters into our reality yeah. and says it's from within by entering into your reality. That's how I will lift you up into God's reality. Mm. And that's the essence of Christian missions. That's why Christianity has always been a missional religion. An incarnational mission is part of it where we don't demand, hey, you know, um, I've got the Christian message in my language. If you really want it, you come and learn my language and come and sit mm. at my feet, climb the mountain and sit at my feet and make me your guru. And then I might share the Christian faith with you. No, no. Christians for thousands of years have gone places, learnt language. If they moved to China and they learnt Chinese and learnt how the Chinese people think so they could translate the Bible into Chinese and then, and mm. then help um, the people understand God in Chinese terms and concepts. You know, why did they do that? Because that's what God did for us. So, mm. so the idea is... God is able to be connected to and revealed within the reality of any human's frame of reference. God wants to enter into the reality of a person. That's the essence of incarnation. Yeah, and now so cool. that schools us in how therefore do we live? Well, Paul says that so in your relationships with one another, you be the same. Enter into each other's reality. Mm. Come in to serve. Communicate on their terms, not my terms. Be other oriented. You know, mm. there's all these things in that. And when it says in... Um, Whereas in verse 7, he made himself nothing. It uses this Greek word kenosis, which means to empty yourself. And that's yeah. what you see, right? Jesus living in divine power and glory. He's fluorescent white, according to the transfiguration, <laughs> um, right? But they see a guy who eats and drinks and sleeps and grows tired and weeps and has to, you know, be fed, has to nap. Yeah. We see a human Jesus, right? God takes on human form. He empties himself of divine privilege and lives a life fully connected with us, which creates an example 
of us to be those who also go the way of kenosis mm. or what you know we like to talk about it as the kenotic lifestyle mm. a lifestyle where rather than then maintain privilege power and position we serve and we empty ourselves and we're humble enough to go well i could also serve because i follow the serving christ i follow the servant god who suffers to serve others therefore i enter into suffering service as well that's my mode of mission yeah so to enter to be able to enter in is the emptying would you say the emptying of yourself is that step one before you can even enter in or do you think the en- process of entering in helps you to empty yourself because you... Yeah. Well, I, I think both. I think in essence, it's like, right, the position of humility is, well, I could demand, I'll sit back and wait for others to serve me and acknowledge my greatness. Mm. Or I put those selfish, narcissistic desires aside and I say, I am here to serve others. So I'm going to enter into and serve them. And I think like you've got to, you've got to be aware in your mind, right, I'm putting aside my titles, positions and privileges and now I'm becoming a servant. But mm. but just putting aside in your mind isn't enough. You actually have to legitimately serve, you know, and live your life with that posture of a servant, you know. So there's a taste, isn't there? Like, let's think about this practically. There's a particular taste about people you meet that have humility and a service orientation, right? Mm-hmm. That they're not big shots. They're not looking to be ministered to, but they're looking to minister to others. Mm-hmm. They're not looking to be like, you know, put up on some pedestal, but they're lift, looking to lift up the lives of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like you think about people you know like that, like, man, they're really just incredible God revealers. Yeah, I, I think about like my, my mother, I just can't get away from the fact that um, the the generosity doesn't seem to end. It doesn't seem wow, to be, wow, a, you wow, know, wow. a one moment thing. Mm-hmm. And it and even in the small moments, there's like, she's like looking for ways to, to serve us and help us kids. And mm-hmm. it just like, mm-hmm. um, so yes, I totally see that. And when you see that, it's such a stark contrast to the way that so many other people live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think, yeah, that is the difference that what is what made Christ so compelling and and you're saying it's a challenge to us to, to and to the early church it was mm, to mm. live in that canonic lifestyle. Yeah, and yeah. it is a lifestyle too. So what does it look yes, like as yeah. a f- as a full lifestyle? Because that's not just something mm. I can practice on Sunday. No, that's right. And I think the you know if it is just something we practice on Sunday, we're not truly doing it. You know, so yeah. it's like the other way of saying the canonic lifestyle is we're dying to ourselves. Yeah, we're 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 not living with ego being the dominant force in our lives. We're living with the spirit of Jesus being the most influential force in our lives. So we know at any given moment, I can let my ego drive me, yeah. or I can let the spirit of Christ and his aspirations drive me, you know, it's a great book by Ryan holiday called ego is the enemy. It's not a Christian book. He's a stoic writer, but in that book, he explains how uh, the American psychiatric association did this big study on how basically selfishness is at the core of all these modern health and other psychological problems. And ego is the problem. Mm. And they spend all this time and energy trying to come up with therapies that will do this thing which they call quieting the ego if you've got a noisy loud ego demanding narcissism you know then then you could just never be happy and never be satisfied because it's me 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 all the time Mm. and how do they quiet the ego but what is amazing is that's like christianity if you take christ out of it all we're talking about is quieting your ego in christianity it is crucifying the ego 
but then allowing the Holy Spirit to resurrect you and let you live in newness of life, a resurrection life where it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. But yes. you're still you. You're not you're not a robot whose personality has mm. been cancelled. You're yes. you, but it's you with what would it be like if you were fully alive with the selfless love of the resurrected Jesus, you know? So it's not a quiet ego. It's like a new creation, you know? That's mm. a pretty incredible thing. And then, all right, all of our habits and dispositions are reformed if that's the mode of life we chose to adopt because mm. I'm other oriented I'm selfless yeah I'm so loving it, it really has to happen on a heart level yeah for it to be able to impact yeah so many other areas um, of life yeah um, so yeah you really it, do, it really does sound like it and I guess you could say this is God being incarnational in us. He's yes. coming alive through us. Yes. And our, our self is disappearing. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Whittling away. Do you think this is a process that you can journey on slowly or do you think you kind of just need to dive all in? No, I feel like you will ultimately journey slowly, but mm. I feel like you need to dive all in. You know, I've, I, it's... It's not one or the other. It's a both kind of thing. Yeah, like you have to I, I feel like the, it, the, the, the path to happiness to is it. just to dive all in. Otherwise, yeah, right. you're just a frustrated person dying a slow, torturous death of, death of <laughs> crucifixion, you know, because yeah. I find in the kindness and mercy of, with God, he God shapes your character as you walk with him. And if you resist God, but he's trying to teach you something, yeah. he will let the circumstances of life become disciplinary structures yeah. that buffet you. That, that, you know, like like you can either work on becoming patient by yielding to the Holy Spirit, embodying the love of God and behaving in a patient fashion, right? Or the suffering of life will make you very patient. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah, don't pray for patience. Go out and <laughs> behave patiently and your character will transform into a patient person and receive the grace of God and the presence of Jesus to do so. But mm. if you don't do it that way, when you're old, you will be old and patient, but the suffering that you've experienced along the way is why you will be old and patient. Mm. <laughs> you know, the circumstances yeah. of life will discipline you it's and buff one you. or the other. It's both. <laughs> you have to yeah, dive in. Yeah, so you've got to dive. But but it's also very fulfilling to dive in because I, I find personally, but I talk with a lot of people about this type of thing, and what you find when you've got people who aren't used to living the Jesus way and they start practicing, that's why it's Christian faith and practice, they practice the Jesus way, what happens is they start living and, and behaving in counterintuitive ways, mm-hmm. but they discover, man, this just feels like exactly like the way life is supposed to be. Mm. Like there's no human that's ever loved anyone or been loved by someone that hasn't resonated in the depths of their soul. This is how it's supposed to be. Yes. Right? Like love is inherently self-rewarding, self-affirming, giving and receiving, right? Just it's good for you. Right. You flourish. It feels right. Yeah. Little children die if they don't have it and they flourish if they do have it. Like when... When, when it's how it's supposed to be, there's like this resonance with, oh, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. That's what it means to live in the shalom of God, you know. Mm. So the kenotic lifestyle is what a human's designed and called for, right? Again, coming back to the grand ethic we've talked about for the last two years, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Adam is brought into a world where he's supposed to create life-giving conditions in a barren world and, and that life-giving conditions will create a flourishing creation because God will reign on it. But how did Adam get there? God made him and positioned him, but God breathed into his nostrils and made him a living being. So mm-hmm. he can't do it without God breathing into him. But if God has breathed into him, then he can become someone who serves the ground. That's the kenotic lifestyle, right? 
the, the whole thing's broken when Adam and Eve position themselves not as those who serve the ground, but as those who want to be served. The temptation of wow. the serpent is God knows that if you eat that fruit, you will be like him. What a meanie. He's trying to rob you of opportunity. Mm. And so they go, wow, yeah, it would be cool to be like God. So they decide. But what they don't realize is, dudes, you already were like God. Mm. You're the image of God. You're the reflection of God. You were already like God. But what you meant is instead of reflecting God, you wanted to replace God. Mm. You wanted to be God. You wanted to be served instead of the server. So you wanted to sit on your throne like Pharaoh or the emperor of Babylon and be served by others. But God has positioned you to be someone who serves to create life-giving conditions around mm. you. But if you shear everything back and become that server, you know I'm living the Genesis one life here. Yeah. So embracing the canonic lifestyle is almost a means of discovering your original purpose. Yes. Your yes. original intent, the way that you were yeah. born to be, really. And maybe the challenge for us, especially if you're listening, trying to make heads or tails of my weird stuff we're talking about, but I think the challenge is, in, is to experiment with that, you know, to yeah. ask yourself, how in a given moment do I embody this self-emptying? That's really, if you don't trip up on the words of the kenotic lifestyle, mm. this is what kenotic means to self-empty, right? So it's the self-emptying love of God. That's what the kenotic lifestyle is, where my life exists not for the betterment of myself, but for the loving, caring service of others so their life flourishes. Mm. Because there's almost, you shared a story in a previous episode about um, allowing one of your children to have the last slice of pizza. Yeah. One element of love is like, oh, I love you, so here's some pizza. But the self, when there's self-sacrifice, when you're still hungry yeah. and yeah. there's a self-emptying that happens there, that's yeah. just like such a true form of, um, of love, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and in a family where everybody offers everybody pizza, then everyone gets fed. <laughs> so imagine a community of uh, kenotic believers, you know, I yeah. guess no one would ever eat that last piece. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, like coming down to this self-emptying, self-giving love of God, mm. it, doing, an, doing an experiment, wouldn't, isn't it true? You'd be the best manager in your workplace if you were self-emptying and self-giving. You'd be the yeah. best brother. You'd be the best daughter. You'd be the best wife. You'd be the best husband. You know, there's no wife on the planet that resists a self-emptying, self-giving husband. I bet you she's yeah. jumping his bones every second of yeah. the day. You know, yeah. so it's like it because people resonate with that's really how life's supposed to be. We even the most hardened people they'll see a story on sixty minutes of someone who behaves in a selfless fashion and they'll shed yeah. a tear. Go, what a legend! Yeah. Right? We admire that. Why do we admire it? Because imprinted on ourselves that that's that's at the core of reality how a human's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's built in. Everybody, everybody sees it, knows it, and wants to champion it just doesn't want to do it <laughs> yeah but, but i think okay. i think we aspire to it but again we've got conflicting ego inside of us you know so it requires that sense of well the gospel is my doorway to the crucifying of the self mm -hmm. to then taking my eyes off myself and putting them on jesus to then being empowered by the holy spirit to go and live the jesus way and then i take steps of faith by living that out i actively yeah. take self-emptying steps to live in serving god you know like the classic is um, when I was a new believer and I was asked, hey, we've got four guys who are going to clean the church toilets, you know, just like one each week. So that's once a month, essentially. Mm. Would you be one of those guys? And I was mm -hmm. like, sure. But A, because I couldn't be trusted back then. I was still in recovery from all sorts <laughs> of weird stuff. So about the only ministry I could be trusted with, I'll scrub the toilet. You know, yeah. like there, there's literally Should no other safe. level of responsibility I would have been able to carry. Yeah. But I could do that one. And what is so weird, it taught me early on, really early on, 
how much joy I got out of cleaning those toilets. It was like, man, yeah. I cleaned that bowl to the glory of God. You know, like Ooh, a, yeah. I, I scrubbed that toilet to the glory of God. And because for me, it was an act. I didn't have the, vo- the vocab for it at the time, but I learned this is an act of self-emptying mm, following yeah. Jesus. How do I love my people in my church? Yeah. I make sure they've got a clean toilet, man. And what a great training ground too, because there is no accolade. There's no Nothing. sign on the door that says... You toilet know, clean by Ben Tiffany. Yeah, you know? exa- exactly. <laughs> I've seen those in restaurants actually, but yeah, it's more yeah. of a... Um, that's accountability. Who can we blame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, more that's that right. than saying... Yeah. They're supposed to sign off on their quality assurance check. Yeah. So I would even say one of the application, one good application here is, um, is, is, is there an area that you can serve someone in that has absolutely no accolade, absolutely no way that it can yeah. be cu- come back to you, because that's the that's the proving ground Egos. of a selfless act of love. Is yeah, could is there any potential for selfishness or selflessness yeah, to come into this? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there anything else that you think the early church or Jesus did to? Um, really help self-empty because that can almost be seems to me like a process in itself and maybe something that you need to do uh regularly because it's quite easy for the ego to come back in and as much as you can try to be selfish Mm. or selfless Mm. it seems to come back yeah yeah well i think there's the there's the active elements in the early church right like loving the unlovable you know it's it's not so much like not demanding being elevated yourself right but it's also like act that's just sort of passive oh don't treat me special but there's like loving the unlovable touching the leper yeah welcoming the outsider you know in the book of acts it was feeding the poor and the widows for argument's sake you know uh in the first century in the second and third centuries it was that the early church were the ones that when people were dying of the plague the christians would go and care for them everyone else would shut down batten down the hatches and say as if you'd get involved with that you know yeah yeah. um it was freeing the slaves it was like you know um not not protesting about justice living a just lifestyle Mm. so instead of saying you know, feed the poor. The Christians went and fed the poor instead of protested that the poor need more bread. You know, they, they, they yep. did that. Wow. So much so that they were noted in the first two, 300 years of um, the Roman Empire. The Christians are the ones that are the force for good. The Christians came up with universal health care. The Christians came yep. up with education for everybody, no matter their social status or their wealth or their, you know, yep. um, political affiliations. The Christians came up with all this stuff because they were emptying themselves. We are here to serve everybody. So we want everybody well. We want everybody fed. We want everybody whole. We want everybody yeah. healed. So justice wasn't like, let's go and protest that the empire is being mean. Justice was let's love everybody and bring them into this love by by building into their lives. Yeah. And then they look back and went, oh, wow, look, the church did justice. You know, it's a phenomenal thing, yeah. this like self-emptying lifestyle. They went to great lengths to do justice, feed the poor, love the unlovable, share the yeah. gospel. Table fellowship and communion in the early church was yeah. many of the poor of Rome's first meal in any given day was that they would go to communion with the church who would say, come in all you poor and broken and we will feed you. Come and eat with us and dine with us. Mm. You know? So that's an example of their embodiment of that, not yeah. just an idea like, oh, I guess I shouldn't be so selfish. No, no, we're actively going out looking for ways to love our world. Yeah, I love that. And and that's a bias towards action. It's yes. As opposed to just simply trying to virtue signal to everyone. Yeah, chuck a couple of statuses on Facebook, but not really truly do anything else, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I guess that's the challenge to all of us is, um, and and for it to be applicable, it's got to be something that isn't a grand plan, but it's something that we can achieve this week. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, 
So perhaps let's be thinking this week about what are the what are the areas that we're going to be what are the places that we're going to be embracing others mm. um, who maybe society has left behind or pushed aside, mm-hmm. and how are we going to be showing um, a self-emptying love? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else you would add to that? No. <laughs> Deep reflections. Yeah. Deep Matt, how, reflections. any other ways that you reckon that would be uh, how to apply that? I'd think the, you know, if you've never really considered thinking about your Christian journey in that way or it's what God's called you to do on the planet, start, as Slater said, what is one thing you can do to mm. self-empty this week? Um and it doesn't need to be a Mother Teresa act. Like it could yes. be. Man, yes. if God puts it on your heart, go for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You got a vision for it, take some action, get it happening. But you know, it could be as simple as saying hey to your neighbor when you take the bin out. Uh, maybe you've never really talked to your neighbor. Maybe it's just always been a nod of the head. It could mm-hmm. be a hey, how are you going? Yeah, um, and you yeah. never know, if, especially if you've never talked to your neighbour. You know, you never know where that could go or what kind of an impact that could make. And, yeah, look, you might be running late for work, but that could be the hey, how you going that your neighbour needs to uh, start their week off well. Maybe they haven't had good news lately. Mm. That could change their day. It could change their week. Mm-hmm. It could be something as simple as that. What's one way you could self-empty this week? Yeah, that's great. Beautiful. And um, another... F- I guess one final phrase that I'd like to just quickly poke your brain on is about incarnation in Christian witness and in mm, presence. Yeah. Is that, is that a separate thought that we just tease everyone with and come back for a part two or is that, um, <laughs> w- would that fit in this one? Yeah. Well, I think it is because like really the essence of incarnation is you empty yourself and you come to serve. You yeah. know, that's what Jesus did, right? He could have stayed in heaven and said, I demand you humans, you know, try and find a way to morally and spiritually rise up to become mm. worthy of God connecting to you. But God doesn't do that. God becomes human, enters into our world, stoops mm. down to serve sacrifices to lift us up to gift us salvation so that we can rise up to you know be seated on him, on the throne with him in heavenly places according to Ephesians and that's what incarnational mission was Jesus shows us who God is by by entering our reality and demonstrating this is what God's like that's why he says I and the father are one no one's seen the father except through me I'm the way the truth and life you don't even know God if you don't know me you know Mm. so so how do we know God Jesus gave us the perfect embodiment of God and now as Christians what we're called to do is to everyone else in our world whether we're a missionary to China or one in our factory or our office or our school or Mm -hmm. our soccer club we are now called to embody God in a way that demonstrates in the in the language, culture, and mores of those places we frequent, people are supposed to come into contact with us and go, wow, I'm starting to understand what God is like because you're showing me. Mm. So we're not replacing Jesus, but we're reflecting Jesus, you know, and we're assuming Jesus demonstrates for me, this is what I'm supposed to, you know, they have the old sign saying, monkey see, monkey do. We see Jesus, we do what Jesus did. And then Paul says it in uh, Ephesians 4, you know, uh, therefore be imitators of God, dear children, dearly beloved children. So we walk in the way of love because we have the love of God. So then we go and give that away to other people. So that idea of yeah. incarnation and Christian witness is it's not just standing on a street corner yelling gospel messages. Mm. It's not just writing text messages of the gospel, but it's actually taking up the towel of servanthood and entering into someone's life and serving in our culture in ways that bring deep love and deep healing and deep table fellowship. Yeah. You know, Jesus, 
you know, how many times you see in the Gospels Jesus at table fellowship with people. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. him suffering and serving and entering into their reality, joining lives with them to pass on all the God stuff. And yet we find, oh, I can't hang out with that person, they swear, or, you know, whatever. Mm. They don't believe my same doctrines. Yeah, it sounds like we've just got the order mixed up completely where we want to deliver the message before we show it with our life. Yeah. Before yeah. we enter into somebody mm. and embrace mm. them as they are. Yeah. Whereas the way that Jesus has done it is he's just, uh, I'm emptying myself, mm. I'm coming mm. in. And then mm. that will naturally happen later as yeah. they, as people get a real genuine experience of God's love, his yeah. life, yeah. Um, his yeah, joy. We're joining lives with them so that they're going, wow, I'm experiencing God because you're joining lives with me. You know, the suffering isn't just like, oh, they're persecuting me, I'll let them persecute. Mm. The life joining is suffering. You know, Jesus... Jesus' incarnational lifestyle was suffering because he had to go and sit at table with sinners. How does a holy God dine with unholy sinners? He absorbs their sin. He's, his very entrance is suffering. And then sometimes like we know, oh, I don't really want to do that. Yeah, that's what embracing suffering is. Yeah. Yeah. Go and love the unlovable. Yes, it's difficult because that's by by inhabiting that place of suffering, you're bringing the kingdom of God. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's not just like, oh, if they beat me to death as a Christian, I'll die as a martyr. No, no. All service, if it's true, truly sacrificial, there's an element of suffering, right? It's not doesn't feel good, it's not pleasant and it's painful, but sacrificial servanthood, suffering servanthood advances the kingdom of God. So we love the unlovable, we wash feet, we we turn the other cheek, we put ourselves in situations that we'd otherwise be uncomfortable in. Mm, mm. I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? But I, yeah. I've learned that as a community pastor. I can sit and wait for people to come into the church or I can be out there visiting farmers and, you know, grading their wool with them and hunting camels with them and, you know, mustering cattle with them and listening to all of the chatter that goes yeah. on and their jokes, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But ultimately, I'm not there to shield myself from that. I'm there yeah. to enter into it knowing I'm trying to bring Jesus to this situation. So I think a good question... For us is, yeah, are we trying to shield ourselves from that? Because some people Mm. will get into a situation where they're around people who don't believe the same thing as them and they just get fidgety and just can't wait to get out. Yeah. Um, but the challenge is, are we are we willing to embrace that in its fullness? Yeah. Yeah. And not be pushing our own doctrine or not be pushing our own thinking, but just Mm. embodying Mm. Christ in the most pure way possible by emptying ourselves yeah yeah and so um before you click off of this podcast want to encourage you to think of how you can do that today or if you're listening at the end of the day how can you do that tomorrow Mm. whatever you're doing tomorrow just think to yourself how can i embrace the canonic lifestyle Hey everyone, it's Josh. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed it, then make sure you share with your friends and family. While you wait for next week's episode, go and get yourself a Bunning snag. Thanks again. Catch you later.